This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast. And we're back here today, not just with me and Dave, or the same Dave and me, but also with Jorte Rodenberg, who's doing a, an, an encore appearance on the Roaring Elephant Podcast. Indeed. Back here to talk some more C-sharp like a pro. And uh, we've already had the, the first part of this. And we do indeed have a couple of giveaways for his book. So less likely, as this is the second episode, that there are any left. But you never know. It's worth a try. Drop us an email and uh, you can find out more at the end of the episode. Very true. And with that, let's uh, get into the second part of the interview and let uh, your surprise and enhance our lives with more C-sharp professionalism. Well, actually, a very nice follow-on to the next topic I had on my mind here. How do you choose the good, the perfect programming language for a project? I mean, there's all these different languages we've just been talking about. This is good for stuff, and it's good for other stuff. How how do you go? Or how should how would you advise somebody who's starting a project and is looking around? Okay, what should I learn, or which of the ones I know should I use for a certain project? Sure. So, I mean, first of all, C sharp is always the answer. And if you don't want to use C-sharp, you should probably go to a mental hospital. But um, other than that, like th there are valid reasons why you wouldn't use, you know, an object-oriented language that basically runs on a runtime. Um, and some of those are in the book, too. It's video gaming is a big one. Even though C-sharp, you know, Unity is C-sharp, it does run on that. The industry is still dominated by C++ for good reason, because of performance. Um, operating system development. It's basically all done in C. Um, because there's tooling around it and performance. So it is, if you have really critical systems, um, maybe use a fast compiled language. If you want to look at something like Go, you know, a lot of the new languages are very tightly scoped in what they're good at. Um, Go really is a cloud language. You could do UI development with it if you really wanted to. It's not what it's made for. So if you want to write fast, web services and you know you know what a pointer is look at go maybe look at rust something like that um but if you are in a big enterprise i would say go for one of the big enterprise languages because you do have all the tool sets around it you can do whatever you want with it even though other languages may be turing complete it's not going to be as easy um and you have support around it, you have documentation around it which a lot of new languages seem to lack they seem to lack a good strong community around it yeah, that's a good one. I mean, writing a language, being able to search stuff or find other recipes or things that didn't work, basically, that helps a lot. And if you take, pick one of those newer languages, I mean, it's fun to be in the latest, greatest hype, but yeah, you have to do a right. lot of stuff yourself. But is it still fun 10 years from now when, you know, you just picked up language A and you don't know much about it, but it's the newest language. 10 years from now, you're going to look at that going like, why did we ever choose that? Unless it is a long-lasting language, like you know, Python had, was invented, I think, in '94. That I, I was born in '94, so it has <laughs> basically it lasted the same as me. So, so. You, you could strike gold. <laughs> I was gonna say, are you still fun? <laughs> right. <laughs> but in, in ten years, we're not gonna be writing code anymore. I mean, GitHub Copilot is gonna do it all for us now, right? That right, exactly. Yeah. That I mean. <laughs> They introduced a similar thing with C-sharp as well. I think two years ago, Visual Studio, I think 2019, introduced like a machine learning thing that it uploads models as you write code and then it predicts what you want to do. And then when you write your code, IntelliSense has a little star behind what it thinks you should be doing. 
So it, it's not quite as, you know, click one button and it does it for you. But not, I, I, I don't know about GitHub Copilot. I, I read somewhere that it started inserting code from the Doom source code um, that they shouldn't <laughs> have been inserting in places. Like, it, it's just not there yet. And it, I don't think it will ever get to the point where it will completely replace an actual software engineer, maybe with a CS degree, that that knows the principles behind it and can apply them when, when needed. It, it may replace some you know, HTML writing stuff. Are you, are you saying that we're not going to have Clippy pop up in your ID and say, <laughs> hey, it looks like you're writing a microservice. Here you go. I mean, don't give Microsoft any ideas. <laughs> I, I love Clippy, though. I love Clippy. But oh, if I God. see a PR from you tonight on GitHub of you inserting Clippy in Visual Studio, that I, I may say, no, nah, let's not. <laughs> yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to... I might have to like craft my own Clippy image because I'm sure it's, uh, it's, it's under some sort of uh, copyright or something. But uh, yeah, I'm going gonna, gonna to go into MS Paint and craft something up right now. <laughs> No, but even Clippy, I mean, machine learning AI, it can't be creative. It can, it can regurgitate stuff somebody else did, but it right. cannot be creative. It's that, that kind of AI doesn't, a good thing doesn't exist. I mean, if it's, if what that once exists, well, that's the end of us, right? I think that's the, <laughs> like, that's, that's the point though, isn't it? Like how, how much, how much when you're creating something you know, in a, like developing something are you not just doing things that most other people have already done in some way, shape or form before? Like, you know, mm. creating a list, searching that list for things, pulling that thing yeah. out. Like, yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of repetitive things that maybe something could, uh, could fill in those gaps for you in the future. But it's, how do you, the, the thing that I think, so I think that bit feels like possible to me. The thing that I think is uh, the, the kind of sticking point for it is more the, well, how do you know that that's what I'm doing until I'm like three quarters of the way through doing it? It's the application of what do you want to do and how do you do it? Like, yeah, I'm sure they can write a list. It's basically an interpreter at that point. That, that's been around for 40, 50 years, uh, that tech. It, you're just translating from one language to the other because um, you still need to somewhat let it know, okay, this is kind of what I want to do. You, you can't just press a button and, you know, it writes Assassin's Creed 16 for you in one day. Like, it's not going to be that easy. It's not going to predict of what you want to do. You still need to say, okay, I want to have this app that does X, Y, and Z. Yeah. So so no kind of taking your your uh, UML diagrams and, like, showing them oh. to the, the monitor and saying, hey, we did it the what I want. I mean, you can already auto-generate code from UML diagrams. Like, <laughs> yeah. C-sharp is a big example of that, but it, it's not going to be exactly what you want it to be. It, it's just, yeah. it's going to be a while before you have your own robot that you can tell it to program for you. I really don't like what you just said there, Dave, because, I mean, that's why I don't like things like Copilot. I mean, it's, it's like making food. Yes, you're all using potatoes and beans and steak, but you can't tell me that a, a Michelin star, a chef, isn't making a better dish than I could ever make. Well, I hope, I mean, considering he, he studied for it. And for me, things like Copilot, it, it kind of evaluates the 
perceived complexity of developments. Is that a word? It is now. It's just, I mean, when I started out in this job, it was like the first developer boom where uh, everybody went to a course somewhere, a night course, and now you were a developer and you could earn a lot of money. And that was very bad for the industry because a lot of crap code got written there, not by me. <laughs> <laughs> but that was very bad. And now I kind of feel that with all of these higher language things, uh, the, the, the code builders where you don't code anymore, we just drag things together. I mean, that's great if you're teaching kids. I mean, there's this nice, uh, that cat, I forget the name, a uh, little tool with the cat thing. It's fun, it's good, but for, the, for, for normal adults, programming is a hard, good programming is a hard thing to do. You need to have some background, some good books to read <laughs> and some experience on that to do that. And saying that it's just using the same lists and FIFA queues or whatever that's been around forever. Yeah, sure. But it's how you use them. If not, you're writing the exact same program somebody else is writing and you shouldn't. Somebody who built a house is using bricks. Well, they didn't invent bricks. They're still using it. So it's just how do you apply the tools that you have? But you, you are kind of seeing a similar developer boom, I think, right now, at least here in the U.S., where there's a lot of jobs that can be filled. So wages are incredibly high compared to the rest of the world. So universities are cranking out new computer science graduates. Um, but you also kind of see a divide in the market there. What th There is a place for the people who just go into it for the money, you know, maybe they want to do web design or something like that, but, and they have a computer science degree, that's fine, but those are going to be more likely to be replaced by something like a robot UI kind of deal. Um, but if you are doing a job where you actually, you know, you need to know the concepts, you, you just won't get hired if you don't have that. So it kind of balances itself out as well. Mm. Dangerous question, in your opinion. Can you learn, study to be a good programmer, or do you, do you need to have some affinity, genetic predisposition for good code? I, I think you can get probably seventy percent of the way there. Um, you can you can get you can get very very far without. You know, people talk about that knack in the brain of mm -hmm. you know being able to program and just do it. I don't know. It it it's a way of thinking. Um, yeah. It just depends on what you were doing before. Um, and if you can make that switch, it, I'm sure people can do it. I don't think everybody should learn to code, uh, which is a thing that they've been trying in the US, um, in the schools, like, because a, you know, my salary will go down if that is the case. So it's purely <laughs> self-interest. Um, not everybody needs to know, or not everybody wants to know. Um, but, and, and like, so like there's different types of development that somebody who is very good at front end development. Um, may not be good at back-end development. I cannot do front-end development for the life of me. I do not have the patience. I, I cannot sit there and fiddle with a button for 10 hours. That, that's just not what I enjoy doing. I don't have that knack. But if I really applied myself, I probably could get to the point where I could do that. So it, it's just perseverance is probably more important than anything. Just curiosity about the underlying concepts of these things. And that kind of goes back to like, how much do you need to know? Like, if you know the concepts underneath these things and how to apply them, you're going to be a better engineer. But if you're an engineer that just knows the basics, you know, you may know the syntax, there's still a place for you in the business. You'll, at this point, will find work, at least in the US. You, you will find a job. Um, but that may change. Yeah. And for me, for development, it, it's always been the, the doubt 
if I'm too stupid for this thing. Because do I really have to write out this code completely? Isn't there an easier, a faster way to do this? But basically, you kind of have to go to the to the full and analyze it completely and build it up brick by brick, right? Uh, in my in my family, my, my my friends and stuff, the people that don't like development or programming or really don't want to look at it are the kind of people that don't want to go down like that, don't want to go deep. That, yeah, yeah. That, for me, that's a bit of the right. knack there. Yeah. But I mean, that's different than not being able to. If, if you know, if you yeah. put a gun to their head, I'm sure they could. They just don't want to do it, and that's fine. Like that, that's the difference between forcing somebody to code and you know having somebody go into computer science because they they enjoy doing it. And those people are likely to be better engineers, probably. Yeah. Now, talking about having a good salary, another thing that's very hype at the moment is the whole microservices architectures. You already talked about the REST APIs, and I think C Sharp is very good talking with, with dealing with REST APIs and doing client server kind of stuff. Now, microservices are one step further small environments, light codes, mini thingies. How would you say C Sharp is a good or a bad fit in the microservices world? I think it's an intermediate fit. Um, it, I have done microservices with C Sharp before. The downside is it is still a language that needs a fair amount of boilerplate, um, not <laughs> Java Spring Boot levels. But if you really take the view that a microservice is something very, very small that does one thing, almost like a Lambda function maybe, you can do it in C Sharp, but it's not going to be as fast as with something else. Now, that may not be an issue, because like I said before, like performance, most cases, I don't think it's really an issue. Um, but if you take something like Go, it, it may be easier, because just lines of code, you're going to need a lot less. Yeah. But will it be as good, as, as beautiful? I mean, I it, always like the fact right. that Perl had Perl poetry. You need something like that in C Sharp. <laughs> <laughs> C-sharp poetry. Well, you can start it. Uh, it's open source, so you can start, you can do whatever you want. I right. knew it. I always right. liked open source until right now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. I think we covered almost everything in the moment. Uh, maybe just to round this off before we talk a little bit about the whole mechanics of writing a book. Um, how relevant is C-sharp today for the student starting his or her developer journey in a educational whatever curriculum they're doing there? Should they be looking at uh, COBOL? I hope not. Uh, C-sharp, Java, how, 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 if I have C-sharp on my resume, does that make me a good, medium or bad applicant? I mean, you can't really make a generic statement, I guess, about that, because if you're applying to a COBOL job, just because you have C-sharp <laughs> on it, it's not going to make don't. a difference. Right, right. But if you have COBOL on your resume, you likely will be called back, because there's not a lot of them. Um, but more as like a general thing, like I, I think it's good to look at C-sharp, even if it's not in your curriculum. But that's more because I think it's good to look at other languages beyond your curriculum. If your curriculum is completely Python and Java, you know, you'll be fine, but you're going to get a very one-sided view of what the industry is like. Um, they, they are, they're not similar paradigms, but they are similar enough that you can pick up Java after Python with some ease. Hence, you can also pick up C Sharp uh, with some ease. Um, I, I think you just need to identify which area of the business you want to go in 
which area of the industry and kind of go from there, see what languages are used there. So because C Sharp is an enterprise language, um, and it really is a platform, the whole.net thing, it is just applicable to a lot of things. So you can't really go wrong with it unless you, you know, you want to work on embedded devices or something like that. So it, it's a good hedge bet to, to learn C Sharp against your future because it's not going anywhere. You know, it may not be as popular as some of the other languages, but it's powerful enough that you can do most things with it. A lot of big companies use it. A lot of big enterprises do. So if that's what you want to do, that, that may be your way to go. Now, if you want to go into startup space, maybe try something else, maybe. Not a lot of startups seem to use it, um, but that is probably also because people don't know it's open source. So there's some work to be done there. Ideally, everybody would use it, right? Um, but really, the one way to know if C Sharp is for you as a student is to pick up this book. Um, it's called Code Like a Pro <laughs> in C Sharp. Um, I've heard really good things about it. <laughs> Yeah, I, think I, I heard like the add. author was a terrible person, though. Right, <laughs> right. yes. Yeah. <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> One thing I also wanted to add for the uh, curriculum thing is that I do think that C Sharp is a good teaching language. I mean, when I went to school, we were forced to learn uh, Pascal, Fortran, and Modula 2 at that point because they kind of taught you good ways of uh, programming, making sure you had your pointers set up correctly, memory leaks, uh, allocation, stuff like that. Java, in my opinion, is a lot more of a, a Wild West language. You can do a lot of strange stuff in there, and it doesn't really hit you in the head until it's in the in the, in the, in the production. C Sharp, at least when I taught it myself years ago, and even though I was programming it, it does kind of make you do it right. It's, it does good garbage collection. It does your allocation of your memory correctly. So I do think it's a good a better than a Python or a, um, or a Java as a pure teaching tool, to be honest. Yeah, I would agree. C-sharp C abstracts away some of the complexities very nicely, but in a way that you won't reformat your entire computer if you type in the wrong command, basically. <laughs> um, it, it has some nice you know, safeguards in place. Um, so yeah, I, I would agree with you. It's a good teaching language and you know you can dive as deep into it as you want. Yeah. Um, but if you want to stay on the service, you, you can be very proficient with C-sharp and not know all the internals. I would disagree there. I mean, knowing the internals will help you always. Well, help. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm not saying don't learn the internals. Because then, have these, you know, you should, books you for, should right? pick up this book. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> well, really, if you're, if you're an engineer who's not sure who wants to learn the internals, because to learn the internals, you need to first have read this book, because there's an intermediate level book. So either way, you should read this book. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been talking a lot about people having to read this book. How is it actually writing the book? <laughs> um, so a lot longer than I thought it would be. It took a lot longer. When I signed the deal, I said nine months. They said, no, it's not going to be nine months. It's going to be much longer than that, uh, just based on our knowledge of having published books before. And, you know, the, I, I said I would do a chapter every two weeks, which is kind of what they typically suggest. Uh, but this was a 400, 500 pager uh, in the proposal, which it ended up actually being, I think, 416. Um, they were like, yeah, d don't bet on being done this year. Um, and they, they were not wrong. Um, in the end, it took uh, two years, start to finish, um, from start of the proposal to the book being in stores. Uh, the proposal stage took about six months, so it's about a year to a year and a half of 
writing time. Uh, and the way that is kind of divided is uh, Manning does milestones for every third of the book. They do a review. So you can become a Manning volunteer reviewer of their books they have in development. So, you know, you write the first third of your book. It gets sent out to about 15 people of varying levels of expertise in the topic. Hopefully they have a lot of experience, but it is also good to have people who haven't really touched the topic before. And based on that, you get your feedback and you change the first third of the book while you write the second third and, you know, rinse, repeat until um, you get to the end. And then you have a couple of um, professional editors go through it on this uh, two or three actual text screens of it because they really want to make sure that the info that is in your book is at least somewhat decent and is correct. Um, of course, mistakes will slip through. Um, and I'm sure there are some in there at this point. I have not had the courage yet to really look at the book since it came out. Because knowing my luck, I will open the page and immediately see a typo. <laughs> um, so my sanity cannot handle that right now. But maybe in five years, I can open up the book. Um, but so, yeah, it, it's been a long process. Um, it's a rewarding process. But it, it takes a lot more time than you think. Um, I had the lucky break that my wife worked a night shift at the time. So I had a lot of time in the evenings that I could just write the book. So I probably spent 15 to 20 hours a week on it for the better part of a year at least. So it, it, it's a lot of time. But yeah, it, it's also a lot of fun to write. And you, you learn a lot about the language. Because when you start out, you know, you, you think you know enough to write this book. Well, you are likely very much mistaken. So you need to do a lot of research, um, which, which is good because you'll come out a better engineer. So I'm really curious about that that point you made around, uh, you know, you thought you had enough knowledge to write the book, but actually it, it, you ended up going deeper in certain areas to fill in some of the gaps. You know, what, what were the areas that you ended up doing more research in and, and coming out the other side with, you know, an even deeper understanding of, of C-sharp? So one that comes to mind is equality comparisons. Like I, I was aware that it was a thing, um, right? It, it's just not something that I had the good grace to touch really in depth in my work up until that point, but I needed it for the book. So I figured, you know, this is a good chance to dive more into that and then put it in the book and then other people can kind of enjoy that. So um, it was how to create a really a custom equality comparison thing. Um, which it, it's not an overly complicated piece of the language. And a lot of languages have something like this, but it, it, it was interesting because I hadn't really touched it before. Um, it was stuff like that. And also costing map and custom mapping of incoming JSON data. So typically you have, you know, your JSON deserializer that, you know, you say, oh, I just want to have it in this model and just stick it in there and, and it works. It, it's absolute magic. Um, which, you know, some people hate, some people love. Um, but you can write your own mapper there. Um, and you can, you know, say at runtime, okay, I want to use this mapper. And then you can do some, like, input validation almost. So, so that was a neat little thing that I hadn't had to do before. Um, and that is not something that if you haven't looked it up, you don't really know how to do. Mm -hmm. So... I looked it up, I researched it, and it, it's in the book. And I think it's one of the, the stronger parts of the book. Nice, nice.
So you 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 enjoyed the process. Uh, what's the next book going to be about? <laughs> you sound like my publisher. Um, I, I actually called with them on Monday, um, and there's been multiple publishers have asked actually that question. Uh, right now, nothing. Um, yeah. It, I'm I'm not saying I wouldn't write a book again. Yeah. But I, it takes a long time. It, it's a big big project. Um, yeah. I have ideas, but. It, I don't know if I want to immediately jump into another book. I mean, they, they basically asked before I was done with this one. Like, yeah, I, I, I need a bit of time off. Um, and when <laughs> I say that, it's my wife saying, no, you're going to need to have some time <laughs> off. Right? I haven't seen you in two years. Yeah. Because yeah. I can imagine that it makes sense to write a new one right now while you're still in the motion, have the routine. Because I'm assuming right. after two years, you have kind of adopted the routine of writing at certain moments of the day, mm -hmm. having set things up that way if you don't take a yeah. break for six months you have to rebuild that muscle again right <laughs> oh absolutely and you, you kind of know what you can accomplish in a certain amount of time like you, you kind of know how to structure your week around it because i knew that i could you know do two to three decent pages in an hour or five really bad pages in an hour so <laughs> the, you know depending on how i felt the <laughs> The same thing with the bad code, right? I mean, right. quantity better than quality, right? That's exactly, yes. And when you need to hit line. a certain number. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but it always comes back, though, because my editor will see it. And like, yeah, you, you kind of sped through that one, didn't you? It's like, yeah, you, you're right. So. <laughs> uh, it's good feedback. I mean, it means the editor kind of knows what he's doing. which is Exactly, yes. Yeah. Doing, yeah. Which no, is... my editor was great. She was absolutely fantastic. So. All right. Wonderful. So, I mean, we, we've kind of, I think we may have mentioned the book once or twice occasionally throughout this session, but uh, for those that were still on the fence and still needed convincing, just to, to wrap things up, like what would be the, what would be the, the number one kind of uh, thing that you think people would, would get most out of this? Uh, it is taking your beginner c-sharp skills to the level that you can go to the advanced resources um, or if you are familiar with a different object-oriented programming language and you need to learn c-sharp maybe for your job th this is an excellent book because it will not tell you what a full loop is it, it's not going to start at that level so you can kind of jump in horizontally and take all your existing bags with you which is nice so you you know, you're basically going to get how to code like a pro and see sharp out of this. That's why it's the title. Excellent. Okay. Well, I think, I think we, we've covered a whole host of interesting, exciting topics. And I say that as someone who uh, typically is, is not all that interested in the development side of things. So uh, the fact that you've managed to keep me uh, enthralled and, and engaged throughout the conversation, I, I really appreciate uh, really appreciate the time you spent with us. Yeah, thank you. And if you want even more of that, you know where to get it. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Could it possibly be uh, the Manning book, uh, Code Like a Pro in C Sharp? You know, I think you're onto something here. <laughs> Fantastic. Well... Really appreciate the time you spent with us at York and uh, have, a, have a great rest of the day. Thank you guys for having me. Looking forward to the next book. Don't wait too long. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being here. And that wraps up our session with York. Uh, as, as I have said multiple times, developing, definitely not my bag, but it was a thoroughly interesting conversation. Um, 
yeah, reminded me of a few things that I'd probably forgotten. And uh, I certainly learned a few things that uh, I think were, were interesting and useful. So great conversation. Um, would thoroughly recommend that people uh, take a look at uh, Yort's book. And we do have a couple of copies, free ebooks available for uh, people to pick up. And uh, while there is very little chance, maybe two weeks later, or two weeks into this, that uh, there are still copies available, you never know. So please do uh, drop us an email to podcast at roaringelephant.org saying, please give me a C sharp book. And uh, you never know, maybe we'll have one more code left for you yeah so with that yeah a bit, a bit sad that you're kind of divulging all of the magic behind the scenes here we, we don't pre-record things we would never do that <laughs> <laughs> but uh, a big thank you to yort of course for being part of roaring elephant family now and we might have him back on again if he actually does decide to write that second book indeed indeed might be sometime in the future though <laughs> So unless there's anything else from you, no, thank you. then that is all the time we have today. You can support this podcast by becoming a patron. Every contribution really does help. We're on YouTube. You can like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, comment, and do all the YouTube things. Please go to www.roaringelephant.org for a link to our Patreon page and for more information about the podcast. You can follow us on Twitter using the at Roaring Elephant tag, and you can send your feedback to podcast at roaringelephant.org. Until next time, my name is no longer quite so sharp, Dave. And my name is, I know somebody who wrote a book on C sharp. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who that would be. Uh, look forward to talking to you next week. Goodbye. See you then.